Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. We are live on WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho and co-host Weston Williams. All right, tonight it's a Chalk Talk doubleheader. We look back at the opera highlights of 2018 from live performances and recordings to major news stories and just plain clickbait. And we'll share what we're looking forward to in opera this coming year. Plus, in the two-minute drill, you get our hot takes on everything you need to know from the past week in opera land. And of course, you can call us on air. Get your voice heard. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Tell us your own highs or lows from the past year in opera. Give us your hot take on the latest opera news story, 847-866-9687. And if you're shy, you can always tweet us at Opera Box or a post on our Facebook page. Great to be back in the studio. It was a weird finish to 2018. We were supposed to do a show on December 17. I was sick as a dog. I lost my voice, much to the glee of Oliver Camacho. No, <laughs> we had prepared so much for our Merry Christmas episode, uh, Hanukkah episode for our listeners, and our um, Kwanzaa episode. It was Hitting all be the bases all, there, yeah. It's like the, we had all of those special guests lined up. <laughs> uh, so yeah. many special guests. They yeah. all canceled. No, we had, never we had Yannick again. Nizes again and Martha Stewart. We had the We're ghost gonna... of Luciano Pavarotti on the show. And yeah. wouldn't you know, we couldn't <laughs> exactly. do a show. And that was, yeah. was Christmas Eve, and then it was New Year's Eve, and we gave you all a little uh, New Year's Eve shout-out, and here we are back Again, in the new year, Weston Williams, you're looking as bearded as ever. That's me. Yeah, I kept my beard. Uh, I saw the ball drop. It was very dramatic. I woke up in the middle of the night because, uh, like Oliver, I'm an old man who goes to bed at, uh, you know, uh, 8 wow. o'clock at night. <laughs> Don't uh, throw me out of the bus. Hey, the knives are out already. <laughs> well, I had to start off the new year on the right foot, yeah. and I believe that's the way uh, to You stayed up for New Year's, I'm sure. Yeah, I was at a party. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Good. A very dignified party. Where we were all, wearing, all wearing monocles and ascots. Oh, yeah. a little bit of champagne. Yeah. That's exactly. funny. Do you know, I wore a bowler hat for New Year's Eve out nice. in London. You were in London, yeah. Yeah, it was okay. fun. It was Drink. a blast. Talk about um, that. So, a couple things. Um, since we have been gone for so long... Dear listeners, have you been listening to Aria Code to get your yeah. opera fix? It's a good think? question, man. Our official uh, endorsement of that show. I, I don't think we need the competition, Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> Is Aria Code on to its, its next episode? I believe yeah, so, Yeah, that's like they've had four episodes yeah. already, so. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. They're doing a weekly show unlike us, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, but if it was uh, arm wrestling, man, yeah. we'd take it <laughs> Also, some sports talk. Oh, yeah. uh, as my gay public service announcement, um, the Australian Open begins next Monday. 
and there's a chance we might not be here next Monday since we came back already. So I wanted you guys to make sure that you tune in. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to get up really early to watch those matches. But you know. And then, of course, the other news, the Bears. I yes. know something happened with the Bears. Well, playoff football returned to Chicago for the first time in years, and the Bears just managed to lose that yeah, game by missing yeah. a, a field goal at I, the I end. I felt it. You know, I wasn't watching the game, but I, like, felt this ripple of, of energy. I was so confused happened. about how come that first kick didn't count. There's, like, some – you can, like, blow a whistle and, like, it negates whatever happens. Like, <laughs> what? I'll tell you that. It's part of the strategy. All that doesn't make any – that seems so unfair. <laughs> That's so much poor gamesmanship. And, of course, know? it's the college football national championship tonight as well. Uh, Weston, I hate tied. to break this to you, the tie down 31 16 <sighs> to Clemson. It's so okay. we'll keep Sa- an Sa- eye. Saban's going to pull that. through. It's going to be fine. Let's talk Roll some time. opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's what you're listening to. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. George Cedar Quist, Oliver Camacho, and Weston Williams on the first show of 2019. Woo! 2018 is in the books, and we're here to talk about the highs and lows, mostly the highs of the past year. And let's start on that big macro level the Mm. international and the national level what are some of our key performances and our key recordings of 2018 well i will take the macro and make it local because i feel that this was a year that chicago native or chicago adjacent singers had did really wonderful things uh, starting with eileen perez who was a native of Elk Grove Village, and everybody knows who she is now, but uh, she, first of all, she came on her show, so that was like her biggest accomplishment, obviously. Uh, No, but she she (laughs) premiered finally at Lyric Opera in the role of Marguerite and Faust, and it was amazing. And uh, yeah, she's, I forget what award she's won or what else is going on in her career right now, but I mean, she's definitely ascended to one of the major, you know, most sought after artists on the scene right now. And absolutely, if you haven't already, uh, go back and check on our, our episode where we interviewed Eileen Perez. It's a, it's a fantastic interview. She's she's great. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Um, <laughs> no, no, she was, was great, but like, there's so sure there just it. too many of us. Um, and then there's Tamara Wilson, who, right. um, I, was this the year that they celebrated her at Kennedy Center? No, that was Christian Van Horn. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so Tamara Wilson also made her lyric opera debut. She's also from the Chicago area or native Chicago area, I think Naperville or something like that. And uh, she is amazing, um, Verdi soprano, you know, uh, you know, young dramatic soprano, uh, and fantastic technique, um, you know, solid, solid bel canto singing with the ability to like stretch to those more dramatic uh, repertoire. Um, we also had Christian Van Horn win the um, absolutely the Richard Tucker Richard Award, Tucker. Yeah. who uh, has been associated with Chicago via the Ryan Opera Center. And then finally, Janai Brugger, who is my singer of the year for 2018, mm. uh, mainly because whatever she does, she does it with so much class. <laughs> and um, it, once again, it was a delayed debut in Chicago, but she gave three major performances here in the city. Uh, her debut in the winter uh, singing the role of Liu in Turandó, a production that was really unremarkable and with a, really a dreadful tenor, I'm sorry to say. Uh, but she was just radiant as Liu. And then over the summer, she returned to Grant Park Music Festival to sing a Haydn Mass. Um, and it was, you know, she can sing Mozart. I mean, I feel like her voice has such a beautiful color 
that whatever she sings, it's going to be gorgeous. But when she kind of like chastens her phrasing and does something that's supposed to be very, very instrumental and clean, and you can really just hear how a gorgeous tone quality can lift music that's very predictable, such as Haydn. I'm not a huge Haydn fan, but I'm not. I'm sorry. But like, yes. but when you hear like a stunningly beautiful voice singing Haydn, it's like, oh, that music is gorgeous, you know? Yeah. Do you want to listen to the, the clip of uh, Janai singing? Sure. And we're going to listen to uh, right now a little bit of the aria of Elia, uh, which Janai did as a Facebook Live event uh, at WFMT Radio here at our classical radio station in Chicago. Uh, in conjunction with the marketing campaign for Ida Mineo, which was in Chicago with um, Matthew Polanzani, uh, a production, the Pinnell production, which was kind of meh, you know, yeah, but yeah. once again, she really lifted it. So here's a little bit of Sail Padre Perde. Talk about shine and sparkle there. You really hear it. Although not in the piano. Well, I mean, not the those, pianist. Those things are, are mic'd so badly. Yeah. I mean, it's for yeah. Facebook, but... Yeah, it was I mean, a fa- you, you don't hear that stuff that good on Facebook yeah. Live every day of the week. <laughs> no, but the thing that, that is remarkable about, about that, even just that excerpt, is like you can hear that there's so much more voice there. Mm-hmm. But when she's singing Mozart or singing Haydn, you know, she's really trying to serve the music. And mm-hmm. But you cannot hide that tone quality, you know. She could still do the tricks and, like, you know, the intonation was outstanding and the staccati were really perfectly placed, you know. But there's that creamy, dark tone underneath that. It reminds me of when Lansing Price sang uh, Mozart, mm-hmm. which is like a really... I mean, that's a compliment. That's a really huge compliment. And I'm not saying that Janai Brooker's there yet, but I mean, like, it's an interesting, unique tone quality for music that we don't normally associate with really warm voices like that. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM doing our year in review 2018. Weston, what was a performance or a recording that really stood out to you from the last well, there's, Here. there's like, like Oliver said, there's a ton of amazing stuff happening in Chicago, but I think my big highlight of 2018 as far as sort of the, the, the grand scale stuff is concerned is probably the recording that came out um, of John Adams' uh, Dr. Atomic, um, which uh, if you have listened to any of the show where I've mentioned Dr. Atomic or John Adams, you already know. <laughs> I'm a, a bit of a fanboy to a... To a, a, a an obscene degree, 
But uh, I do think that this is genuinely one of the most important, probably the most important recording uh, of something opera related to come out of 2018. It was a Grammy winner, Grammy nominee, uh, Grammy nominee, yeah, yeah, nominee. The Grammys didn't happen yet, did they? No, no, no. We, we should probably know that. No, no. The Grammys, <laughs> the Grammys are soon, but I'll, it's yeah. Not uh, I, I, I so it could be a winner, but we just yeah. Uh, it is know. going up against a, uh, uh, um, a Dmitry Vorostovsky recording, and the posthumous nature not of the that might be yeah, exactly. A, yeah. Might be a bit of a thing to compete against. But all things being equal, I do think this should win uh, the Grammy. Uh, it's it's the sound quality on a purely technical level. This is a studio recording, a very rare thing. In Sunday, February tenth. Yeah, soon, very soon, uh, and it's uh, it's 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 phenomenal. The performances are all great. Uh, uh, it's got uh, the the big standouts are of course Gerald Finley as uh, uh, Oppenheimer, and then um, uh, uh, Julia Julie Bullock. Julia Bullock, yeah, Julia Bullock awesome. as uh, um, as uh, uh, his wife uh, Kitty. Uh, it is just uh, those are the main outstanding. But the the entire cast is is great. Um, the, those two are phenomenal and. Um, and just Dr. Atomic, I think, is one of those special operas that's got the sort of the um, the, the ring of immortality to it. You know what I mean? Uh, it, uh, this is a lot of the thing that I feel like a lot of people kind of get caught up in when they hear new operas. They're like, oh, this is, this is good and I'm enjoying this opera. But is it going to be one of those ones that we hear 200 years later because we've been so raised on the notion that opera has been around for 200 years because that's what we're listening to right now uh, and that can be an obstacle to creating new opera but i think in the case of dr atomic this is a special opera i do think this is one that's going to last uh especially now that we have a recording of this caliber to kind of keep it circling in the repertoire uh, and I'd uh, like to play the little clip i provided um this is uh, near the end of the opera um uh, this is uh, Gerald Finley singing as Oppenheimer, To what benevolent demon do I owe the joy of being thus surrounded? Um, uh, the words of a, of a poem uh, incorporated into this 20th century uh, context. Oh, what benevolent demon do I owe the joy of being thus
been a long time since I've listened to that piece, and man, it's 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 brilliant. really something it's, else, and, isn't it? Well, and, it's also a great 21st century opera yeah, because of the technical right. demands made exactly. on the staging and also yeah. on the orchestra. Uh, mm. Gerald Finley, I think, is one of the great singers of our time. Uh, an amazing technician, um, amazing stylist, and did he create the role? I forget. He did. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, he is uh, the Oppenheimer. So it's uh, great that we preserved his interpretation of absolutely. this role, and also John Adams is as well because he he actually conducts this. I didn't mention, um, but absolutely a, a phenomenal opera, uh, one of the most important works of the early early years of the 21st century. Um, and, and still very lyrical and very listenable for people who are, who are allergic to atonal music. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and I, just, uh, I think John Adams is the quintessential American opera composer living today. He's had, he's had Some a people might say Philip enough. Glass. Well, <laughs> if you listen, <laughs> Philip Glass, I would argue, is not so much an opera composer in the way that John Adams is. Even if you go back and listen to um, Nixon and China, which is stylistically worlds apart from uh, Dr. Atomic, there's still a, an instinct there for opera specifically that Philip Glass, I think, doesn't quite have. Um, even though I love a lot of Philip Glass's operas, absolutely. Uh, but there, there's this sense of drama. There's a sense of humor. There's a sense of, of stretching the orchestra and the voice in order to create a dramatic situation a programmatic situation that Philip Glass is still too obsessed with his uh, arpeggios. Staying to along the lines of preserving uh, artistry, um, this was the year that they also released Renee Fleming's uh, last performance of the Marshallin in mm. Roosevelt. And I feel like this is a beginning of the end for Renee Fleming. Like she's been in the no in the opera zeitgeist for so many decades yeah. now. And not that she's going anywhere. The beginning of the end for her was singing the Super Bowl. That's when she really transitioned. <laughs> no, but I'm not kidding. But I'm, I'm not kidding. But I'm that's, saying like, it was she's serious. as Marshallin, she's incomparable. And like right now, there's not many other people singing the Marshallin that come to her level of mm. like detail and like people want to hear it, that type of thing. And this production from the Met also featured Alina Garancha, who um, I thought was phenomenal as Octavian, and especially... Well, she the... was also doing it for the last time. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So say goodbye to that role. And then the introducing me, I'm the most important audience member, <laughs> to uh, Gunter Greisbuck, the uh, Baron Ox, the, the hunkadlicious. <laughs> he's like big shoulder, square jaw, blonde, blue-eyed. Um, he's like a bass. slab of beef. <laughs> Heaven. And I saw that in HD in the cinema, and it was great. Yeah. Oh yeah. It you was could so go. good. And All the ending was like beef. shocking. So um, along the lines of recordings, though, from this year, um, I think I love that. You know, early music continues to be one of the major projects that recording studios are putting their mm-hmm. investing in. But then we have an artist like uh, Anthony Roth Costanzo who came out with his recording ARC, or ARC, which uh, kind of juxtaposes Philip Glass, not the most important American opera composer. (laughs) Second most important. (laughs) With Handel. And along with that, some really cool artistic uh, videos that come along with, like with Tilda Swinton, like Marissa Tomei, like crazy stuff. A recording that many of you might not have heard of, unless you're paying attention to the classical Grammys, is a little recording made by a tenor named Kareem Suleiman, uh, with Apollo's Fire. The recording is called Songs of Orpheus. And uh, Kareem is an early music specialist. And I just got around to listening to it finally while I was like, cleaning the house uh, over New Year's. And? And I was brought to tears. Yeah. It is so beautiful. So if you need something to add to your listen list, 
uh, Kareem Suleiman's um, Songs of Orpheus. And Suleiman is spelled S-U-L-A-Y-M-A-N with Apollo's Fire. All right, we got more on the highs and lows of opera performances, recordings, and opera in the news in 2018, plus what we're looking forward to in 2019. It's all on Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear-a-hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. How about we root for the home team? Baseball season's under. Wait a second there. <laughs> Are you, are my, is my mic back on? Yeah, man. Yeah, um. We haven't talked about your like picks for the global level opera. Well, my I know you're going to talk about Germany or like England or something. So. <laughs> Is what you would be saying, yeah. <laughs> Oliver. My my global pick was actually a Chicago pick, kind hey, of look like at you. That home team, and that's all why the, the home way. team. Um, for me, a real standout performance this year was Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, for the love <laughs> of God, I don't get your problem. Not opera. <laughs> it's not opera. That's what it's it is. It is opera. <laughs> nope. It is opera. We we can arm wrestle about this, or we can have an educated conversation. But <laughs> well, I do think it's a it's, it's a rock opera. It is through composed. It deals it's amplified. With, it uh it is amplified, and it's with a rock band as opposed to an orchestra. But Let there's me, just there's to, just amplification. To sort of, uh, narrate to our listeners what's going on no, right now. No, Oliver's you, body uh, body language is just so <laughs> tight right now. It just listen, looks like gnashing listen, his listen, teeth a okay. little. Gen- gentlemen, I'm always tight. <laughs> Go, go to the Prototype Festival, which is happening in New York City right now, okay? They are based in opera. You are going to have amplification. You're going to have rock instruments. Okay. And don't try and tell them fair, that fair what enough. they're doing is but an opera. But was Andrew Lloyd Webber intending for this show to be performed in an opera house? He was not. And that is what this production really managed to capture, was that it took a concept album... And essentially put it on stage. So half the numbers in this show were presented like rock songs, like it was like a rock concert, basically. And here's the thing that's important about this production is the audience. What was happening on stage was great. It was loud. That's awesome. But when you looked at the audience, it was subscribers. It was people in their 20s and 30s. And it was aging rockers with long gray (laughs) manes of hair and leather bracelets wearing vans sneakers and that was unusual for lyric and i think lyric was thrilled they had those sorts of people in the opera house are they, having com- are they coming time. back are they coming back yeah i don't know to see Sandrion. i don't know mm. okay. I, I can't say if they are or they are. <laughs> only they would be able to okay. to say that musically though for me that was a perfect piece 
Right. Matt Cummings yeah. said uh, <laughs> Benjamin Berenheim in the title role of Gudo's Faust at Lyric was one of his. Yeah, highlights. I mean, I didn't like, see it, if we so were talking about great singing that happened that. in Chicago this year, um, Benjamin Bernheim, relatively new to the, well, new to Chicago audiences for sure. That was his lyric opera debut. And uh, here is a powerful lyric tenor who can really sing this role and bring guts to it. And uh, it was almost a competitive evening of singing. I, I mean, Eileen Perez was Marguerite, and we already talked about her. But, um, you know, there was a time when this was the most uh, produced French opera, and uh, that's sort of fallen out of fashion. And um, I, I have to say, like, if we can get singers like Benjamin Bernheim and Eileen Perez singing in this opera, I would see it again, because it was mm. really exciting. Wasn't crazy about the Kevin Newbery production. We still want to be our guest, Kevin, by the way. <laughs> but, <laughs> we, can, uh, it, we can up that review it, a little bit. It's sort, of dist- it sort of distracted from the fantastic singing that was happening. Yeah. So, uh, But yeah, Benjamin Bernheim, I wish we had a clip to play of him, but we don't. So you have to go don't find, have it. find Toby, it yourself. Toby didn't have, I think, a performance that really stuck out for him. He was excited about the new leadership at the Met, which he said mm. uh, left him inspired and hopeful for the future of opera. We'll get to... And you're referring uh, to Yannick Nezis again. Yeah, yes. this, is a, this is a great... We can continue along this path go for before it. we go local. This is a great story because it comes after this terrible news that we have. Yeah, if we want to talk the, about lows of 2018. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the other side of the rainbow i don't know like what i'm trying to say but Coin. you know we had to, thank you yeah. <laughs> we had some terrible terrible <laughs> news that most of us sort of knew already but now it came out and it came out very ugly with james levine and leaving in disgrace and uh taking his place earlier than intended uh was yannick nizes again and um you know i've been a fan of his since before we knew about all the cult <laughs> of of james levine yeah and um the Met did a really beautiful little mini doc uh, to go along with the Traviata HD broadcast. Right. About, of, uh, did you see it? Uh, uh, I, I, it's I, I watched now, a little yeah. bit of it, but okay. I actually got a lot of reactions to it. Just people, that, that one little mini doc really, it almost, I don't know if it went viral necessarily, but I, I, there were a bunch of people who I didn't expect to talk about that specifically. Yeah sending me texts saying, oh, I'm really excited for uh, for the new era at the Met, you know, and, and it was because of that one little video. Yeah, well, he just brings energy and real love for the music and a desire to reinvestigate, to reexamine some of these, you know, old chestnuts. And, like, this is not a r- original thing that's happening. Like, a lot of conductors right. actually start from scratch, you know, when they approach a work for the first time. But um, it was nice to see that at the Met, there are, you know, you see sometimes the uh, musicians in the orchestra, they get little mini interviews with them. And they're like, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. Like, you know, I've been playing this opera for 30 years. And like, I never noticed that part of the score, you know, because he wants to really look at it. And he worked so carefully with Diana Damro. Mm-hmm. For um, like what the coach she got a coaching on Alfonso Louis in in this mini doc, and I have to say like when I saw the production, uh, I thought that she was being really affected and that she was doing like way too much, but if you just listen to it and you don't look and you don't watch and just listen to the detail that she's putting into the into the music, it's like that's what we want. We want our artists to come and bring something new and to find something new and to sing it differently than the way Maria Callas sang it. I mean, it, right. Know. My prayer for Yannick Nézé-Séguin is that he has no skeletons in his closet. <laughs> but that's the great thing about it. It's like he's an out-homosexual man. Yep. And we all know that there are so many gays in the opera world. 
but who have just not been not been private about it or closeted about it at like James Levine, yeah. like Kevin Spacey, for example, you right. know, and David Daniels. Yeah. yeah. Um, not that Kevin Spacey is an opera singer, but you, you know where I'm going with that. It's like, you know, <laughs> sure. he, he was hiding from the public for his whole career. Yes. And this is how it comes out, you know, yeah. better that you just put your cards on the table right away, you know, so we know we know who you are and people can come or not come based on the prejudices. And then we can really see who cares about the opera and who is, you know, who who lets things like that get in their way of enjoying the thing. Well, that Oliver, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, the lowest point of 2018 was James Levine and the high point was the flip side of that was yeah. Thank you. His the other again. side of the rainbow. Yeah, no, the, two, the two sides the gay of the rainbow. rainbow you know. <laughs> Definitely. Um, locally, it was a great year for Chicago. Absolutely. Yeah, let's turn it over to Weston. I've been I talking for a while. I think this is so. the uh, sort of the uh, kind of the year of Chicago Opera Theater, uh, which ties into the year of Mark Campbell specifically. Uh, and they co- sort of converged on the point of Elizabeth Cree. Uh, which happened uh, last year. And if you go back and listen to our episode about that, um, uh, it, we all reviewed it. Uh, everyone who, who, who watched it. Uh, re- it, was, it was categorically phenomenal. Yeah, it was. I can't remember the name of that, that character tenor who sang crazy, crazy high notes. But everybody in that show was so good. But yeah. you will leave that show, or we, I left that show, thinking about Catherine Proct, um, yeah. the mezzo who didn't do, perform the original. I think Daniela Mack was the original... I don't remember somebody in not Catherine Proct, yeah, yeah. But the, in the Chicago presentation, it was Catherine Proct, um, who we've heard a lot in the Chicago area. Fantastic singer, and Elizabeth Cree is one of those roles that really defies vocal categorization. I mean, like it's cast mm-hmm. as a mezzo, but it's very high, it's very low, it's very dramatic, it's funny, it's vaudevillian, it's horrifying. It is. It's comprehensive. A so. crowd pleaser. Uh, that I think is the big thing about it. It went when I went. Uh, it was a sold-out house, and I believe it had been uh, for at least the uh, the one prior show and probably two. Um, uh, and the word of mouth about this thing in Chicago was nuts. Everyone, like non-opera people, um, people who just were vaguely aware that I liked opera, were like, "Hey, can you get me tickets to Elizabeth Cree?" And I'm like, "No, it's already sold out." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it, it was, uh, and it and it really delivered. It was the 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 reactions in the crowd were visceral. There's the, there's certain scenes where they describe sort of the uh, um, the murders that uh, it's that like this, a Sweeney Todd type yeah, of story. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He describes it in graphic detail, and they were ooh ooh in the audience, just like they were engaged. It was right there. Um, it was uh, musically, it was great, and all of this coming from uh, Chicago Opera Theater, which... It was un- a co-production with Philadelphia. Right, exactly. It's a co-production, but uh, Chicago Opera Theater in particular um, has really sort of... Uh, I mean, it's always sort of been considered the, the other opera company in Chicago, but their trajectory right now is, is just going up and up and they up. They have a lot of goodwill and a lot of good PR right now, right. which has to do with the success of the end of last season with Elizabeth Cree, yeah. and the beginning of the new era with Lydia Yankovskaya mm-hmm. as the music director, uh, who we had a, as our guest on the show like two years ago before mm-hmm. she started, and her repertoire choices and uh, her mission with Doug Clayton, the new general director, to focus on local singers, to, to uh, start incorporating Russian repertoire into the repertoire, mm-hmm. and also do big American works. 
and also to support local composers and to support women. Like they're trying to do everything with and, the Vanguard. Yeah, project. and like this is yeah. the first year, so we haven't seen how successful everything's going to be. But right. Lydia Yankovskaya's <laughs> first show was the Olanta, the Rush, the Tchaikovsky Olanta, which was categorically praised by critics. Yep. Uh, Paul Curran was a stage director, and he did a lot with very little, and introduced. Us, um, COT introduced Chicago audiences to a local soprano named Catherine Weber, who just knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. I mean, the kudos keep piling up for COT. Lydia, as you said, is nominated by Musical America for an award. Lyndon Christ is nominated for a 2018 International Opera Award. Doug Clayton gets a 40 under 40 nod from Crane's Business as the executive director of the company. There's no question, as you say, Weston, that the stock of COT continues to it rise just up. as fast as the stock of Lyric continues to plummet <laughs> yeah. and fall. Uh, well, Matt Cummings also, of course, said that um, Elizabeth Cree was one of his top performances of 2018. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. Well, I just want to say, like, as far as Lyric goes, I think that the first half of their season, Itabaneo aside, uh, has been very strong. Uh, they right. brought back. Or they brought uh, the Royal Opera House production of La Boheme, and like everybody's seen La Boheme, it's like okay, another La Boheme, you know. But along with it, a, a fantastic Musetta sung by Danielle Denise. She was like born to sing that role, and the house debut of Michael Fabiano, mm-hmm. who's no small potatoes, you know. And <laughs> He's a large potato. Window. Yeah, and then a baritone Zachary Nelson really holding his own as Marcello. I, he might have actually given the best vocal performance in that quartet. Hmm. Just really, really solid, great actor. Really, really compelling to watch uh, Maria Gresta as Mimi mm, yeah um, <laughs> they also had the uh, third installment of the ring cycle the David Putney which yep. I don't know if we're all fans of that or not but you know Zig I Fried. was Chris, yeah, that was that was another highlight for me from the sort of the local scene uh, is uh, the Siegfried was uh, even more than any other of the operas in the, that they put forward in the cycle so far I think was the most dramatically effective and also, though, interestingly enough, the one that took the most uh, theatrical risks, too, uh, especially with, uh, um, with a lot of the 19th century repertoire, people are, are terrified to take it out of that sort of naturalistic setting. But one of the nice things about Wagner is, is that the stuff he asks you to put on stage is so ridiculous, you might as well get weird with it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, just the, the concept, the delivery, my only qualm was that the, the, uh, the Siegfried, I forget the tenor's name, his voice is a little bit too small for the role. Um, but he's saying it very sensitively, and um, and especially towards the end of the opera, it and, wasn't distracting. And Christine Gerke was. was in fine oh my form. Goodness. And then Ronita, oh my Ronita Miller as Erda, also yeah. show-stealing scene. So it, it is absolutely phenomenal. And I don't want to jump ahead uh, too much into 2019 and well in, in, and beyond. But that is one of the things I'm looking forward to. I guess this would be technically 2020. Uh, would be the the full ring cycle the lyrics doing. Uh, I think everyone's going to have their eyes on that when it comes around, when they're subscribing for the next season. Here's, uh, a, here's a non-performance highlight for me for 2018 was the Opera America Conference. It's not sexy to say. It's not sexy to be there. But <laughs> the sorts of people that are talking, the ideas that they have, the questions that they're asking, like it was really well done. And... I'm well, not going to go next year, but I'll be back in two No, years. but the main theme was like inclusion, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Right. yes. And inclusion. to that end, we uh, can also bring in to the fold um, Andrew Stenson, who was our guest, uh, who was also the uh, creator of the role of Danny Chun in 
uh, Huang Rose, uh, an American soldier, yes, right, which did right. very well at Opera Theater St. Louis. That's you correct. Know? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. That's another opera about inclusion. Um, any more inclusion bits here? There were uh, there were quite a few. I mean, uh, 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 there was the uh, what was it? the the portraits concert. Uh, oh uh, yeah, uh, the COT thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course, um, we had Luther Lewis on to talk about that. But even if it's um, not local, like, what are we thinking? Well, Ryan Speedo Green for me is Yay, probably yeah, the, one like of 2018's <laughs> big inclusion stories. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that guy has been on every talk show at this point now, with good reason. I mean, yeah. his his rags to riches story, which is directly tied up with race, economics, is really is moving. Is very very moving. I want to say that the Peter Sellers version of um, Clemenza de Tito uh, starred Janine de Beek, uh, who did make a Chicago appearance and recital here, and she gave actually a pretty thrilling and cr- it was a pretty crazy recital where she talked after every set and related the repertoire choices uh, to personal things happening in her life, which were like TMI, but it was <laughs> really, really compelling to watch. And she finished uh, with uh, Andre Previn's Honey and Rue, and I only heard Kathleen Bell ever sing that. And I didn't mm-hmm. think that that work was like, okay, yeah, it's fine, you know, but who else is going to sing this thing? And she sang it, and it was a completely different piece, like super, super dramatic. And th- here is a very exciting uh, Trinidadian singer who um, fits really well into many different categories. Early, new music, early music. She's got great coloratura. She's got great stage presence. She's a gorgeous woman. It's awesome. So looking forward uh, to 2019, I am hoping that Lyric Opera continues the success of the first half of their season. We are going to get Ario Dante with Yesin Davies and Alice Coote. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm also excited about Paul Appleby, one of our guests, um, who's going to be singing Peleos. Uh, at the Met in Palais Melisande. I love that opera. Mm-hmm. And I'm personally looking forward to Boston Early Music Festival, which is a semi-annual or bi- I think you say when it's every two years. Biennial. Bi- yeah, bi- a biennial festival. Uh, this is a it's Boston Early Music Festival. words here. Yeah. <laughs> Boston, <laughs> this is the Boston Early Music Festival year, so you will find me in Boston in oh. June to see Baroque operas and all my Baroque peeps. <laughs> you know... The 21st century in American opera, I think, has really been about the chamber opera. You, when yeah. you look at a piece like As One, libretto by Mark Campbell, Sir Mark Campbell, having... Co-libretto. Co-librettist, yeah. thank you very much, but one of the librettists, that it's the 14th most produced piece of any opera in America in, I think it was 2017. That's amazing to Which me. is just incredible. Yeah. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to how the American Chamber Opera is going to continue to develop in 2019. What are we going to see happen in this form? And Mark Campbell, there's no question that he was the librettist of of 2018. Oh, absolutely. Year of Mark Campbell. <laughs> so 2019, who it's going to be the year of, of what librettist? It oh. might be Mark Campbell. <laughs> librettist, <laughs> librettist. Choose your fighter. Uh, it's going to be... Uh, um, by see. the way, Boston Early Music Festival, uh, the festival opera this year is Agostino Stefani's Orlando Generoso, everybody's favorite opera. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think my big thing that I'm looking forward to in 2019 specifically is probably going to be uh, COT's production of Moby Dick. Because uh, I think, as I said, the stock's going up. Uh, but this is a really ambitious one for them. Uh, Jake as Heggie. expensive as F. So. I know. I'm, I'm really, 
really fascinating to see how they pull it off, if they pull it off. Um, it's obviously um, a new opera, but it's also one that has enough weight to carry with it some expectations uh, for... Well, well, people know the story, and right. the opera's been produced a number of times, so people mm-hmm. know that it's worth producing, so it's not like a first-time yeah. Rufus Wainwright project or something like that. Right, right. right. So this is, this, is a, this is a risky move, I think, for them to take, but I also think it's the correct risk to take at this stage in uh, their development as a company. Um, at a particularly exciting time for the company. So th- I think that's probably the highest stakes performance uh, coming up uh, in 2019, uh, at least in Chicago. Um, and I will be watching very closely. Final thoughts every, on Every male singer is hired to sing in <laughs> Moby Dick. single I'm one. not even kidding you. Even <laughs> They even asked me, Oliver, can you sing? Like, <laughs> that, that's your final thought, I Oliver. I on, can't on review on it. <laughs> I'm in it. <laughs> going to be in it. What about you, George? What are you looking forward to in 2019 besides in, the year of the chamber opera and 20, the year of the librettist? Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think here what is going to be on my list. I would I would love to get overseas in 2019 again. I would love to get back to German-speaking Europe and yeah. and see something out there. I'm on the the you know the email list for the Staatsoper Unter den Linden and the Bayerische Is that a drink? I don't know. <laughs> Didn't know, even drink on that. To be on an email list isn't isn't much. <laughs> it just it just makes me long for seeing the standard rep done in totally bizarre ways with, with incredible dramaturgy. I don't know. I want to I want to see what like Minnesota is doing, what St. Louis is doing. Like we have, we're not that far from those places. And I feel like we can go and check out some of these. You know, not. Coast, yeah. not not the Met, not San Francisco, and see what they're doing. Because like, they're doing point. interesting work, and they're not... Some of these companies are really taking a gamble by producing, right. you know, stuff that's new. They don't get the new. same level yeah. of glory as the, as the, as the big boys. So hey, donate now so I was going to say, tickets. for our <laughs> listeners, your donation could help yeah. Oliver and I uh, tear apart rent a car and, and, yeah. and get Louis. up to... I'm probably also, because I'm such a fan now, I'm probably going to go to Toronto to see... Ida Mineo, because I actually like the music of Ida Mineo, but yeah. I need a more compelling production and Opera Atelier, who are here in Chicago. Oh, right, yes. They're producing Ida Mineo with um, Misha Brugger-Skolzman as Electra. So, Deception, Drag Queens, and Dungeons and Dragons. That's all next on Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera on WNUR 89.3 FM. <laughs> Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill. Plus, our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. This just in, the two-minute drill. 
All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know that happened in Opera Land over the past week. OperaWire.com reports that countertenor David Daniels has filed a counterclaim against Andrew Lippian, a singer who alleged that the famed opera star had assaulted him when he was a student at the University of Michigan. Nearly six months after Lyric Opera of Chicago ended its 2018 fiscal year on June 30, the company has not yet posted its audited financial report on its website. In an interview with London's Guardian newspaper, Met Music Director Yannick Nezé-Seguin, there's that name again, has said that an audience of newly commissioned operas should be able to better identify with, quote, both the storyline and the viewpoint from which it's told. It's undoubtedly true that many of the operas we present at the Met are not from a varied point of view. It's mostly white males. I think it's important that a place like the Met should help influence a shift not only to more female composers, but also composers of different communities and cultural backgrounds. The Met has named Thomas Lausman, currently the head of music at the Vienna State Opera, as the new director of music administration starting in 2019. The irreverent, passionate opera media outlet Parterre Box, which began as a queer opera zine, was first published 25 years ago this month and was distributed in bathroom stalls at the Met. Now its writers are credentialed press members at that same house. The Department of Music from the University of North Carolina has announced that baritone Lucas Meacham will be its forthcoming artist in residence. Earlier this week, Hannah Rose and Kelly Butler released a new College of the Opera Bard subclass to use in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, inspired by Butler's experiences as an opera singer. The new Bard subclass is now available on DM's Guild. I have absolutely no idea what I just said. And on this day, January 7, Rimsky-Korsakov's Rags to Riches Opera Zadko premiered in Moscow in 1898. Francis Poulenc, composer of Dialogues of the Carmelites and Les Mamelles de Tresias, was born in 1899. And we wish a happy 389th anniversary to Francesco Cavalli, who married the rich widow Maria Sosomeno in 1630. You know, Oliver could really use a rich widow. That is your two-minute drill. And you are listening to Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM, George Cedarquist with Oliver. To Kamasha. be clear, a widower. <laughs> I don't need a widow. I need a widower. And um, yeah, Rich would be fine. Surgeon, great. Um, already have children is fine as long as the children are still impressionable, like between the ages of like six months and four years. Once they start like bonding with other fathers, um, I might not be able to make an influential. Oliver's full dating impact. profile can yeah. be found on our yeah, website. Exactly. Uh, uh, <laughs> the national championship happening tonight as well. Clemson over Alabama, thirty-seven oh. to sixteen. Mm. Now, uh, in return, Weston, because the tide is struggling, we're going to let you go first and That's tell okay. us which of the two-minute drill stories tickled your fancy. <laughs> well, this I have to week. say, this dun- uh, unfortunately, I did understand what they were talking about with the Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Because, and this is not a joke, I cannot emphasize how much this is not a joke, I am currently playing a Dungeons & Dragons campaign wherein I am role-playing a tiefling bard based on 20th century avant-garde composer Arnold Schoenberg. Uh, And it is uh, a wonderful experience and not a nerdy thing to do at all, despite what judgy looks Oliver's giving me. Uh, Drink. <laughs> All right, that's enough out of you, man. I, I have no idea what this what this is. Um, Oliver Lucas Meacham. So I just wanted to include this little bit about Lucas Meacham because, for those of you who were paying attention to your Facebook around Christmas, you probably saw this video that Lucas Meacham made of him singing 
um, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas. It's, it's so good. Let's listen to a little bit of it. Is you. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. Don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. So today is January 7th, and I'm so sad that we are officially out of Christmas season. Uh, as I of, think we as brought it back. Nabathana has it come and back. gone. But I loved that so much. And the production value in the video is actually very high, too. Yeah. So that's something we'll definitely revisit, or I'll revisit next year. It's him singing all the different parts. And yeah, and he does, like, and... he does like some choral. He does some like beatboxing. He does... Bohemian Rhapsody in there, like it's it's awesome. So. I'm looking forward to when you release your own Christmas album, uh, Oliver. God. I only have one style. Oliver, you and I <laughs> had to explain to Weston before the show what parterre box oh, yeah. was. He's such a, a oh, newbie around here. Can, can, can you recap I for our about cool hip things like Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, parterre, I would yeah. call it pretty hip. Actually. So <laughs> parterre has been around since like the beginning of the internet, and it's to me represented maybe like the darkest part of opera criticism because everybody's allowed their opinion there and uh, they sometimes do like live chatting um, chat rooms during like the Met broadcast and you could see people commenting in real time like oh that the soprano missed the high note or he sounds like he swallowed some razor blades or like some really (laughs) terrible catty catty stuff and uh, yeah I sort of got a little bit allergic to it after a while because it's really negative but it also is a place. But it's funny. For, yeah, it's catty. Okay. But it's also a place for real opera journalism. And we don't really have a place anymore, in America at least, where we can reliably get well, really thoughtful reviews of productions. And so now people like Harry Rose, uh, who is a young you know, writer, but who writes beautifully about singing, uh, he's published there. And so it's necessary. And I think that the fact that the New York Times did a long story about what essentially is a blog, um, you know, gives credibility to what mm. James Jordan has been doing with that. It used to be in print, of course. It yeah. started as this magazine that was distributed and met, I assume, Bathrooms. The, yeah. I, I assume <laughs> the, the men's room. <laughs> Which the Met was the Met. not yeah. pleased about. Oh, yeah. no, no. The Met was, was furious about yeah. that. <laughs> so James Jordan is the, you know, creator and main producer and aggregator and um yeah he reviews for the new york post and he's not always you know so positive uh, himself and so i think he sort of sets the tone yeah but there are there are some there's some really good writing happening at parterre box mm-hmm. and it sort of serves as like an opera news like um 
you know, instant news, you know, as opposed to the monthly opera news, which is usually two or three months old news that they're commenting on, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's tricky because, you know, we don't have, uh, I mean, aside from us, who yeah. else carries the torch? <laughs> so I feel like, I feel like opera wire is sort of like the, maybe like the BBC or like the CNN of opera journalism and, uh, and parterre box <laughs> is like the Fox, you know? Yes. Or the MSNBC. It's okay, the extreme, okay. you know. So. More the sure, TMZ, sure. really, wouldn't you say? Uh, no, I think uh, Subdisc is the TMZ. Is the TMZ. So, yeah. Okay, yeah, fair that's, enough. That's true. Enough. That is 100% true. David Daniels, this is the lead item on the two-minute drill, has filed a counterclaim against the singer student who alleged that um, Daniels had assaulted him. One of the students. Right. There was another baritone earlier who had also alleged assault as well. I'm just astounded that David Daniels is is fighting this in court. I, I mean, I said this at the very beginning when the initial accusation came out. It's like, why would you make up something like that with such detail? And why would you stick to your guns so closely if it was all a lie? It, it feels like well, Daniels he has, he has is no doubling down. He has no, I mean, like, you either deny it. I mean, if you're going to deny it, you have to file a countersuit. Like, otherwise, you're accepting it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, maybe this is like law school 101, and I'm just totally I, missing the point here. You know, at this point, I'm just embarrassed that we spent so much time talking about it, yeah. when, it when when it first happened. Yeah, and um, yeah, I regret not coming down more forcefully against these accusations or against David Daniels because now it's clear that it's not just one person; it's it's a history of yeah. Well, which and, is the repeating pattern with all of these <coughs> sorts of accusations, not just in the opera world, but uh, outside of it as well, and it's just. You know, as we talked about before with with James Levine, that if we remember, unfortunately, if we remember 2018 uh, in, in terms of opera for nothing else, it's going to be the, the year that this started happening to these big established figures in opera, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but at the same time, it does sort of clear the air and hopefully uh, create an environment that's safer, more healthy, uh, that can be a bold new world uh, in the arts for in 2019. With more with more women, like Danica yes, Zeiss exactly. again, you know. Exactly, and this is what Toby said. He's not on the show tonight, obviously, but he said, you know, the Me Too movement has begun this discussion about change. Sometimes those discussions often start when things are at rock bottom, when a group of people decide that the norm can no longer continue to be the standard. And in his email to me, he goes on to just offer thanks and gratitude to those who had the courage to stand up and share their story. So it will be the hallmark of 2018. Yeah. Speaking of possibly bad news, the Lyric Opera of Chicago uh, not posting its financial report uh, on the company's website, as it generally does. Um, and it, uh, I believe it was supposed to be originally posted in October. October came and went. November came and went. December, January, still nothing. Um and given uh, the the strike at the beginning of the year, the yeah. talk of of limiting number of productions even further, this is not a great sign for the lyric. Uh, if Slashing the number of shows that they do from eighty six to fifty six, you know that's happened in yeah. in less than a desk decade. Uh, and then you look at you look at some of the fees that these guys are pulling, and that you know Anthony Freud is pulling in, I think it's $800,000 a year, around that. Mm -hmm. um, Andrew Davis is just, is like $950,000. Sure. 
Just just Valerie. so so much. There's there needs to be a shakeup um, at the lyric uh, in order to solve these problems. And I do think these problems are solvable. I don't think that this is a result of inevitable audience attrition. Um, I think this is bad decisions on the part of the company um, uh, stemming from just years of really short-sighted management. Um, and this, this is not the only company that's done that. I mean, I think most, uh, most big, mid-sized to large opera companies in the United States certainly once the financial uh, crisis hit, um, they all had the same problems, but the ones that have survived are the ones that adapted and changed and figured things out. Uh, smaller com and then there's companies that are growing, you know, uh, like, like Chicago Opera Theater, uh, in the exact same city, you know, uh, within sight of the <laughs> Lyric Opera building. They're but with capacity, that's a fraction of True, what Lyric but they have things. been selling out, and people, as as I said before, people were asking me to get them tickets yeah, for but selling out for three shows. performances in a house that seats like five hundred people comfortably. Right, but the but there, this is from a point of when they started out, they were not. No, they're showing growth houses. for sure. This is growth. Growth is possible, and I think, I think growth is possible in a company like the Lyric. Or well, certainly stop. Well, we're definitely trip. not going to solve this in the two minutes that we have left. I think show. we can do it. No, <laughs> I think we can but do I mean, it, Oliver. Uh, for me, the trajectory that Lyric Opera is on this year, then it's not a super adventurous season. No, but the things they've done so far have been quality, and we are going to get that Electra with Nina Stem, which I think I'm will be a, a, a fantastic <laughs> thing for us for Chicagoans to have. Um, I thought the Sandrion was a real surprise. I wasn't really looking forward to it that much, but mm -hmm. I was really delighted when I was there. Uh, like I said, the La Boheme, we've seen it a million times, but good cast, new production, okay. I think the misstep for the season is probably going to be the Traviata, uh, which is, I don't think it's a new production, and the mm. cast is are people that I don't, I'm just not excited about. I don't know who else, who's excited about these people, you know. But the Trovatore, on the other hand, another Verdi chestnut, um, overdone, some might say, but with a phenomenal quartet of soloists, you know. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I think that it, there there has been quality work coming out of the lyric. I don't want to diminish that at all because the, there really has been. But uh, I think the problems are in the programming. The problems are in making it available to lower income uh, students. Uh, but that you don't make money doing that. Okay. Well, anyway, I, we we I, have to. I, we'll talk about this. I'm sure we'll, this we'll, year. Yeah, yeah we'll see. We have to wrap it up. Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score. Good to be back on the air with you, gentlemen. Yeah, nice to be back in 2019. We do have something from Toby, which is very important, but before we get to um, Toby's good call, Weston? I got nothing. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just want to shout out, actually, to a local conductor, Francesco Miliotto, uh, who, for those people who live in Chicago, who work in Chicago, you know Francesco. He has been everywhere. He's been the cover conductor for every, every company, and he's coached a lot of singers and, you know, he's like a real, like reliable, you know, young conductor who's doing the work, you know, taking his lumps uh, and he's fantastic. And he's getting his chance to uh, conduct uh, the main stage performance of Sandrion this f Saturday, this Friday, mm. uh, the, the January 11th performance. So good luck or toy toy to Francesco Miotto and uh, hope the success keeps coming for him. 
Thank you for that. Back in October of 2018, uh, a young tenor called Nathan Ward's life was taken through depression. And uh, recently, a memorial scholarship fund has been set up at the University of Missouri where he did his undergraduate. I was a colleague of Nathan's and I directed him. Tobias was also a colleague of his. He had a brief time in the opera world here in Chicago and elsewhere in the U.S., but it was impactful, and he actually experienced great success in the few years that he was in the business. So on behalf of the show and Nathan's family, we ask you, our listeners, to please consider donating to the Nathan Ward Memorial Scholarship Fund. That's at the University of Missouri, and the link is on our website, operaboxscore.com. Well, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about Opera. The general manager at WNUR is John Williams. No, not that John Williams. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song, Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. For co-host Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera once a day during all of 2019. We're back on Monday, January 14, 9 p.m. Central. We go inside the huddle with stage director Greg Eldridge, who I interviewed at the Royal Opera House a few weeks ago. And you're going to get all your opera headlines and our hot takes Join us. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment.